Our second lesson today is the text we use for Epiphany, the story of the visit of the Magi. It's from Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, They were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Well, as you start out a new year, and and hopefully one of the things that we have as a goal each and every year is to follow God more diligently. So one of the questions I would have is, you know, how do you do this? How do you know what to do? It is actually really hard to know how to follow God. It's not as easy as some people would seem to have it seem to make it out to be. Now we have this story of the Magi, and they are presumably hundreds of miles away in another country, and then they set out because they see this star. They notice an astronomical anomaly, and they decide that this must be important, and they go and follow it. And and I've talked about this in in the passage before, that what happens uh, is they come to Jerusalem, which is a matter of, of a distraction. Jerusalem is not where Jesus is. Jerusalem is about nine miles away from Bethlehem. And so as they're trying to follow this star, as they get close, they end up in the wrong place. And they end up in the wrong place, we kind of presume, because they had gotten near and and decided that, well, this is important. This is something really important. And important things must be happening where important people are. And so they go to the, to the palace. They go to the king, presuming that the king must know what's going on. And so this would be kind of like the equivalent of, of being in Ohio and seeing a big star over the east, and you decide to take off on, on I-80, and you start heading across. And then as you get close, you just start to figure this really important thing has to be happening in Manhattan. So you you go over the GW Bridge, and and you sit there, and you end up in Midtown or whatever, only to be told that actually the big thing was in Weehawken. And and you just missed it, because what happens in Weehawken? I guess there must be some... Oh, well. (laughs) 
<laughs> so anyway, so what happens is they stop in Jerusalem, and, and this is a bit of their secular understanding of what's going on in the world, invading their understanding of what they're supposed to be doing. All right? And what happens, what, what the course correction that happens is they have people in the palace who understand the scriptures. Because presumably these magi are not Jewish. All right? they are, they're from another country. This is the, the epiphany, the revelation to the Gentiles. They're not Jewish. They don't know what's going on. And so they, they find out what's, where is this supposed to be. And they go, well, it's been written. They don't know that. They don't know that it has been written. It, it takes someone who understands the scriptures to put a fine point on where it is they're supposed to go. To say, oh, no, 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 you're close, but it's supposed to happen in Bethlehem. And so they understand that Bethlehem is the location of this. At the same time, what happens here is that they're combining what they're seeing in the world with the refinement of, of understanding it through the lens of scripture. That actually, as we proceed in faith, we have to understand that moving forward in faith is a combination of experience and scripture. It isn't either alone. You can't just go with your experience, and you also just can't go with scripture alone, because for instance, if you knew the Bible, there is nothing in the Bible that says, if you see a really unusual star hundreds of miles away, drop everything and go follow it. Right? That's not there. So even if they knew the Hebrew scriptures backwards and forwards, there was nothing to say, by the way, when you see this astronomical anomaly set out on a journey of hundreds of miles. They had to use their own understanding that there was something of God happening here. And then they were able to actually accomplish it by taking that understanding and refining it within the understanding of Scripture. And so it is the two working together that gets them to the right place. And that's one of the things that has to happen in our lives. We have to be understanding and looking for the activity of God in the world and then also understanding and interpreting that activity of God within the lens of Scripture. And it is the two together that leads us toward the place that God wants us to be. And at the end of the day, what happens is they show up in the house and they see Jesus with Mary, and they kneel down. That ultimately the end purpose of this is to worship God. The end purpose is to draw closer to God and to do what it is that God would have us do. But the understanding of what it is that God wants us to do can't simply be within the concepts that we have ahead of time. See, we, we have to be open to new revelations. We have to be open to new things that God might be wanting us to do. And that's why I think one of the most important features of these stories is the fact that God uses the mechanism of dreams in order to communicate. All right, so what you have here is the Magi come, and they are warned in a dream not to return to Herod. Right? And by the way, we don't know anything about the Magi. Uh, if I go backwards just for a second to this verse, um, we focus on the gifts, you know, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Uh, it never, nowhere in the passage does it say there were three Magi. It simply says there were three gifts. 
We actually don't know how many there were. And, and there's, there are ancient or, or medieval paintings that depict as many as 20 magi. And also linguistically, by the way, just so you know, it's not guaranteed that they're all men. All right? And so the, the, the plural that's used uh, in Greek would apply as long as one of them is male. And so all you know is that there's more than one. You know that at least one of them is male. It does not specify that they are all male. It does not specify that there are only three, but they have three gifts. It's just that we have this Western understanding that each person would bring their own gift to the party. Uh, and so that's what uh, colors our understanding of, of what's going on. But God sometimes works in ways that defy our conventional understanding of things. And that's what God uses dreams for. So God tells the, the, the Magi in a dream not to return to Herod, which on its face is a pretty dangerous thing to do. I mean, you're traveling from a strange country and the king tells you to do something. The king said, when you learn of this baby, come back to us. And they are told, oh, no, nah, don't do that. The king may have told you directly to your faces to do this. Don't do that. That's a pretty radical thing for the magi to choose to do. And this happens because they're told in a dream not to do it. Another area, by the way, Matthew uses the, the, the idea of God working through a dream happens half a dozen times in Matthew's Christmas story. Another example is right here. It's where Joseph has discovered that Mary is expecting. And what God does is sends an angel to appear to Joseph in a dream and say, by the way, Joseph, it makes all the sense in the world for you having discovered that your fiancé is expecting and you know that you are not the father, that you would then divorce her and end this, which was Joseph's plan. And in a dream, he is told, no, don't do what's expected. Don't do what's rational. Don't do what makes sense. Instead, do this. Because dreams have that interesting quality. Right? We all dream, right? Dreams have this interesting quality. They live at this intersection of, of reality and the impossible. I mean, that, that's what happens in our dreams, right? Our, our dreams are usually some mixture of, of what's real and what we've experienced. And then there's elements of the fantastic within them, right? And so the, the dreams live at this intersection of what is real and what is rational and what we've experienced and what is absolutely impossible, what makes no sense. Our dreams live in both those worlds, some more than the other, but I think we've all had dreams that are comprised of having one foot in the real world of our experience and one foot in the, the world of what is absolutely impossible. And I think that that is what God wants for us in our lives. God wants for us to continually understand that our lives are not limited only to that which makes sense in our own minds. God wants our dreams, God wants our understanding of what can be to be greater than that. I, I've heard pastors speak at conferences and stuff, and, and, and I think it's great advice. They say that if your, if your dreams, if your goals are strictly achievable within your power, 
if your goals are strictly things that you can understand, where you can make a seven-point plan and, and get to that goal, then it's not big enough. Because what you've done is you've decided that what you're going to achieve is something that makes sense within your power, and you've not left room for God to work. That instead, the goals that you should have for your life, the goals that you should have in ministry, the goals that you should have wherever, should be large enough that it would take God's activity to have them happen. That you should put yourself in a position of relying on the activity of God to have your dreams come true and not just be living in such a confined understanding of what might be that you don't actually really need God in order for them to happen. Faith is supposed to expand your understanding of what is possible. Faith is supposed to take you beyond what you can easily understand. And not just in terms of eternal life, not just in terms of what lies beyond this existence, but we believe in a God who is active within this existence. We believe in a God who is active in our world, who is active day to day, who is there with us, guiding us, intervening in, in our lives. And if you believe that, then you have to understand that what is possible is bigger than what you have understood was possible before. In fact, one of the questions that I would ask you about your own faith journey is simply this. How has faith changed your perception of the possible? As you have grown in closeness to God, as you, have, as you have come to understand God more than you have understood God before, how have you grown in your understanding of possibility? How have you grown in believing that things are now possible that perhaps you did not believe were possible before? I would argue that that is a measure of how we're coming along in faith. Not, not the sole measure, but one of the measures of how we're progressing in faith is when we come to understand that things that we thought used to be impossible are not impossible, but instead are possible with God. So I pray that as you look ahead to the remainder of this year and to every year ahead, that God would continually be expanding your understanding of what could be. That you wouldn't confine your goals, confine your dreams, confine what might be to only that which makes sense, to only that which is rational. Remember, every great person in history was great because they thought something was possible that no one else believed. Great people said, no, nah, this, can, this can be. And everyone else scoffed. Everyone else would say, no. Everyone else would say, can't do it. And then the person did it. And that was the definition of their greatness. If we are going to live a greater life than we had lived before, 
then we're going to do something that we didn't think we could do. We're going to accomplish something we didn't think we could accomplish. We will love more than we thought we could love. We will be more generous than we thought we could be. We will serve in greater ways than we thought we could. And once we understand that what we used to think was impossible is actually possible, we can think that again and again and again until we're finally living the life that God always knew was possible for us. But maybe we didn't think was possible for ourselves. Amen.